Well, good morning, six eight. It is a privilege for me to be able to spend this morning with you.、Uh, wish I were with you. I'm actually in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is where I live right now. But I grew up in media,、uh, right around the corner from you guys, and、uh, went to Delaware County Christian School and. Lived here for a long time, but I moved home for a brief period and stumbled upon six eight and attended for a while there until I moved back. So I I have a, a strong affection for your church.、Um, I love、uh, what you guys have been talking about recently. I've actually been watching your sermons from my house.、Uh, that is the one thing I have been blessed about with quarantine is、uh, or this whole COVID mess. There's obviously a lot of Horrible things going on, but I've been thankful to be able to feel like I'm a part of your community a bit. So、uh, I want to、um, thank Jason for asking me, and I want to encourage you that you have been hearing some really good teaching. And I will say there are not many pastors preaching as boldly as your pastor is. I think it's the call of a pastor to help us in times like these. It is such a foggy time, if you know what I mean, and I'm sure you feel it too.、Um, it feels very strange right now to be、uh, and confusing to be living in the world we're living in. So I, I want to thank Jason because I, I think actually he has done a great job、um, giving us. Bold truth, and and it feels like headlights in a really dark time. So,、uh, so yeah, feel feel very blessed、uh, to have him. So let me open with a word of prayer, because、uh, I have some some things on my heart that I've been studying, and 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 even today God has been reworking in my own heart with this, and I feel.、Um, Yeah, I just feel grateful to be able to talk with you. So let me pray first. Jesus, we ask you to do the work that only you can do.、Uh, to open our eyes to the truth、uh, that sets us free. To remind us of who you are. I think that if there is one thing that week after week that we meet、uh, as a church and. Day after day that we spend in your word, it is to it is to know you better,、um, to see more of you, and to have our hearts turned in the direction of the worship of the one true God. There are many things that take our eyes off of you, much like、uh, Peter in the boat on the water.、Um, we are easily、uh, fearful, made fearful. We are easily distracted. We are busy. Um, we we have lots of noise going into our minds and our hearts, and so we just we pause and we ask that you would do this work of communicating to us what it is that you desire to communicate with us. That is my heart, and I know that I can have、um, many ideas of what I want to share, but I don't really care about those. I care only about what it is that you want to share. Um, to me and to those listening, and so thank you that you are a God who who does that, who、um, clears out the fog, and reminds us of who you are. So、um, go ahead of us this morning. I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. 
So I've been at our church here in Charlotte. We've been going through the Lord's Prayer. And so it's been on my heart and on my mind. And I I, actually, I want to start by reading it. I'm going to be reading to you today a few passages. um, And this is the New Living Translation. uh, But I want to read this to you because I'm going to focus on one part here that I think is uh, yeah, it connects with, with what Jason has been talking about. I think we're in strange times and the way that, that the enemy works against us. It's good to get recentered back into who, who is God in the midst of all of this. But let me read this familiar passage to you. It comes from Matthew 16, the Sermon on the Mount, starting at verse 9. Um, after the disciples asked what it mean, what, what does it mean to pray? Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May it be kept preserved and may we be a part of that holy. May your kingdom come soon. Feeling that more and more, right? May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. And forgive us our sins as we, for, have for, as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. So that's, that's the, that last little part, which I think is, is often neglected. Rescue us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation. Help us not to yield to temptation. Um, this is this is the part that I want to focus on today. Temptation's interesting. I, I, you know, we I think often we think about it like, um, you know, when you were in college partying or or sleeping around or. Uh, you know, drugs or whatever. We think of all these kind of moral decisions as the decisions that so often hook us. I remember a, a girl that I mentored for a long time and a long time ago. Um, she's now a professor at uh, Taylor University and, and just warms my heart to, to, to see her life now. But I remember her saying, and she didn't know who Noah was. She didn't know who Jonah was. I mean, she she was not raised in the church. This was all new to her. She grabbed a hold of it with lots of, with lots of interest and passion in the word all the time. And I remember her saying, she was wild. She was a wild thing in in high school. And I remember her saying that she felt like the hardest part would be letting go of her boyfriend or uh, or stop stop partying or whatever. And and what she said to me one day was she had no idea that once that stuff was was not such such a temptation for her or a draw for her um, that it was her heart that she didn't know what to do about. It was the selfishness, the the desire to want what she wanted. And uh, I think she hit on something there. I've never forgotten that um, because I think about how temptation is actually at a very, very root. It is the desire. Um, it is a misplaced desire um, for worship. It is the desire to have what we want to get what we want, for no one to tell us what to do, to not be controlled by anybody else, to, to essentially be our own God. Um, and so we do have an enemy. Uh, this is what he is waving at us all the time. That his desire is not necessarily to be worshipped. He's not looking for a bunch of Satanists uh, who are going to the satanic church. He's looking for anybody who would take their eyes off of God 
who is the supreme, glorious king of kings, and to put it somewhere else. Uh, but ultimately, the somewhere else is, is, it seems pretty consistent that it's us. If you've ever read C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters, you can see that this is kind of how, how it works. So he has a plan. We have an enemy. He has a plan. He has a, he has a strategy and he's working within a very disordered world right now where we are living in this fog and it is difficult to tell what wrong from right. So, but we have only one option for delivery and it has got to come from God. He is our deliverer. And so it is, it is clear. It is a clear path um, that to move away from temptation of, of, of loving the self has to be then redirected to our one deliver. So I want to start by just talking a little bit about this ageless temptation. This is not new. This is not a new temptation. Um, and if I were to summarize it, I would say the temptation and every single thing, um, all these other things we are tempted with are symptoms of this thing is whose authority am I going to live under the authority of God or the authority of myself. And I live with this pull all the time. If you think about the story of the rich young ruler, it sort of sets it up um, with a really good picture of what, who am I going to choose myself or the way of God? What authority? So I want to read for you um, a little bit from Genesis, because this is where the first temptation was. And, and it's pretty interesting when you read it to see how it's playing out. So this is Genesis 2, starting at verse uh, verses 8 and kind of moving through. It says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees. Like, you know, there's many trees out of the ground. Trees, these are the trees that he planted. They were pleasing to the eye and they were good for food. He's a good God. He's a good father. He's giving us good things. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Skipping down to verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden. You, All of these beautiful trees I have put here for you. Um, they're pleasing to the eye. They're good for food. You can have any one of these, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Here's where Satan kind of pays attention. He's paying attention, right? I mean, he's, he's observing his, his open doors. And here's an open door. They don't like being told what they can't have. I've, this is sort of his thought, I imagine, in my own head. They don't like being told what to do or what they can't do. And can't you see it today? It's very clear today because we want to follow our own set of rules. We even have the hashtag my truth because we don't we want to shut down any conversation. You want to shut down any um potential pushback against something possibly that we shouldn't be doing or um, a philosophy we probably shouldn't hold to. And so I'm just going to claim that I get to decide what the truth is. Nobody can tell me what to do. It's this perfect opportunity. Now, Genesis 3 one starting in verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? Did he really say that? I mean, if you imagine it a little bit, it's kind of this. Did God really say that you can't do something? Didn't he? Did he really say no to you? Would God say no to you? Did he really say you're not allowed to do something? 
Did he really limit you like that? Did he put did you think God really would limit you like that with something that you want? Did he really deny you of something? Do you think he really knows what is best? I mean, this is kind of how 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 it breaks down. These are the questions we have ourselves about God. So the woman said to the serpent, no, we may eat from the trees in the garden. We're allowed to eat. But he did say he did say you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will surely die, which, of course, God did not say they shouldn't touch it, but shouldn't eat from it. You won't certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows. And this is what I want you to hear. God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be very wise, right? You'll you'll be wise in your own eyes, which is what Proverbs warns us against. Do not be wise in your own eyes, but your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good from evil. If you eat this fruit... You get to be God. This is he's threatened by this because he knows that you'll be like him. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, which is interesting because it's the description of all the other trees, but also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some of it and ate it. She also gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So there's a lot going on in this passage. Um, it's interesting, all these trees, all these good things, but one boundary has been set up, a protective boundary. And this is the heart of God. Um, I think this is where something breaks down for us because A, we don't like being told we can't have something. And B, I think we fundamentally do not believe in the love and wisdom, perfect wisdom of God. So where he says no to something, we aren't really looking at or believing in the heart of God. And this, when you understand the heart of God, when you understand the goodness of God or the protection of God as a father, you have a different perspective on the boundaries that he sets up out of these things. So we don't like being told, no, we don't really believe him or trust him to be good or wise or loving. There's a couple false beliefs that result from that. One is we really sincerely believe we can trust ourselves. So I, I can, I can determine my own truth. I can determine what is wrong and right. Every, I can, I can, um, it's 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 you do you. It's this philosophy of the day. It's very subtle. It can even sound good because at the core, there's a there's a dignity that we all want to be that our voice be heard, that that we be loved as we are. And all of those things are good. But but this idea that we can actually trust ourselves to know what is best, there's something missing there. The other false belief, and and I've thought about this a lot, and as I was a teacher, would talk to my students about it. We have started to believe, and maybe for all of time we have, that every single desire we have should be fulfilled. I think we really believe that we should not be told no. We should not be limited creatures. We should have nothing left uh, for want, right? And um, and we we often raise our kids this way. I think we teach the generations behind us that this is true. Um, Tim Keller said it really well. We've come to believe that God is here to orbit around our lives instead of us orbiting around God. Right. Our lives orbit around him. That's from his excellent book on the book of Mark. I highly recommend one of my favorite books. And it's called Jesus, the King. So every desire we have should be fulfilled. No value for the boundaries of God, the electric fence that he puts around us for our safety, that under the umbrella of his ideas, his good 
good fathering. Um, we don't we don't believe that that's actually where we find freedom and life and flourishing, but it is. We will flourish there. We we will not be without suffering, but we will be we will be without the entanglements of of sinful, self absorbed decisions. Um, so I want to talk for a minute. So this is our temptation, right? It's always Satan's goal shift that worship from God to self shift that trust from God to self. Right. And here's, so here's this enemy. Let me just say a few words about him. His goal is always that, that is at the end of the day, he wants us to take our eyes off of God. He does not want God to be worshiped. As a matter of fact, if you look at, um, Isaiah, a passage in Isaiah where it talks about the fall of Satan. I believe it's 54. I think he is talking about how he wanted to rise to the heights. He wanted to be like the most high. So everything that he's doing is to kind of uh, draw us in that direction. His tactic, his goal is to take our eyes off of God and his goodness. His tactic is deception. So he makes wrong look right he makes right look wrong. He's de- he's deceiving. It says in scripture, he comes masquerading as an angel of light. It actually, I think one of the hardest things today is a lot of the ways in which Satan is working today is it looks good. It looks or it looks um, it looks kind of innocent, like it's not that big of a deal. I was thinking the irony of selfies when they first came out. I don't know if you remember this, but they were it was selfie Sunday. That's when you, that's the Sabbath of all days, the one day set aside to completely um, put our rest and surrender our day and our time, put our eyes on God to worship him, a day set aside to worship him and, and rest in him is the day that that is decided that you post pictures of yourself. Interestingly, we couldn't keep it to one day, could we? I mean, now it's like selfies or ever. There's no more selfie Sunday. Um, but interesting to me that it started that way. He does these little things. I think paying attention to the way that culture is working, you will be in the minority if you follow the ways of God. As a matter of fact, Mark Twain, of all people, said something about if you find yourself in, in alignment with the masses, you need to hit pause and reflect. He didn't say hit pause because there was no pause button at that point. But he basically said you need to stop and reflect because the masses are falling over the cliff, right? So if I am in the minority, I probably am aligning more with scripture, um, with the upside down kingdom of God. So lead us not into temptation to make you, God, small and us big. Um, tests are very much a part of our maturity. I always tell my students, maturity does not come with age. I've worked with seniors in high school for over 20 years, many of them walking away from the Lord, many of them who were very committed because the anchor wasn't in too deep. And I said to them, maturity is, is a lot of hard work. Um, it doesn't, it does not come now. You don't turn 27 and have maturity. So even with these, with these things that we, pr- this prayer of, you know, keep us small, keep you big. It's going to require, I'm going to talk about a couple of our responses to this, to, to make sure, like Jason talks about all the time, the spiritual formation, mentorship, giving ourselves the time to really invest in our souls. So you can kind of translate this, save us not from temptation because these tests are what mature us. We have to, you know, strength needs to rise up in us. Prayer often grows to be more of our resource. We, we depend more on God during the times of testing. 
So it's not save us from those things, but it's save us in those. That it is not so flimsy and frail of a faith that we discard it when hard times come up. Lord, save us. Lead us not into these these trials that will cause us to discard you or to worship ourselves, to shift our worship from you to ourselves. Think about culture like a river. It is strong and and it requires a lot of thinking and thought because our temptation is really to fall right in in line with with everyone else. Um, so I want to share a little bit with you about our response. Um, we have a deliverer and um, gosh, getting to know him. And fixing our eyes on him uh, will empower us with great strength and perseverance. Um, you know, when you, the where Jesus, it, Paul talks about Jesus, um, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Um, and, and it, you know, we, it is not just his resurrection it is the resurrection and the suffering. So, so Paul says, I, I, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. If we believe that we are not, we are not going to have to endure these temptations and tests and hard things. We don't know the walk of Christ um, who went ahead of us. For one, it gives me lots of appreciation and value for what he did um, on my behalf, on your behalf. Um, so I want to just start by saying one thing I think is really important. It's lost today. Um, and I teaching my seniors in a Christian school where I could talk about these things, thankfully, but stillness, I mean, it quiet is lost today, right? I mean, if you think about it, we can literally be, uh, we can have noise. We can have, even if it's reading, like even if it's reading blogs and websites and articles, noise going in all the time. And we have got to be a self-reflecting people. And we have got to be willing to be still in order to fight the battle of these temptations. It is just, it will not happen unless we can sit and and receive what the spirit wants to say to us sit and meditate on scripture so that it goes deep into us and steadies us and holds us so i want to say learning to be still in prayer is like a it is a discipline that cannot be um underrated it is we cannot neglect it uh i would recommend this book how to pray by R.A. Torrey. Um, real, it's a very small book written long, long time ago. I want to just, re- I mean, oh, gosh, one of the best, one of the best books I've read on prayer. Let me just read you a little something he says that really hit me pretty hard. He says, nothing can be more foolish in prayer than to rush heedlessly into God's presence. And ask the first thing that comes into our mind or that some thoughtless friend has asked us to pray for. We, when we first come into God's presence, we should be silent before him. We should look up to him and send his Holy Spirit to teach us how to pray. We must wait. Be still and wait for the Holy Spirit and surrender ourselves to the Spirit. And then we will pray aright. Oftentimes, when we come to God in prayer, we don't feel like praying. Isn't it true? You don't. Oftentimes you feel 
cold or disconnected or or really distracted today what shall one do in such a case cease praying until he until he feels like praying not at all when we feel least like praying is the time that we most need to pray we should wait quietly before god and tell him how cold and prayerless our hearts are and look up to him and trust him and expect him to send the holy spirit to warm our hearts and draw them out in prayer it will not be long before the glow of the spirit's presence will fill our hearts and we will begin to pray with freedom directness earnestness and power many of the most beloved seasons of prayer i have ever known have begun with a feeling of utter deadness and prayerlessness but in my helplessness in my coldness i have cast myself upon god i've looked to him to send a spirit to teach me to pray and he has done it uh there's so much in this book i would again i would highly recommend it read a little bit each morning but this is the battle that we're fighting right in ephesians chapter 6 it kind of resets us to what is our temptation this is what paul says he says be strong in the lord be strong in the lord not in your own strength and be strong in his mighty power and put on the full armor all of it because it's a battle there's an there's an enemy he's got a plan he's got a strategy put on your armor don't take it lightly be serious about this because we are not fighting against flesh and blood gosh it feels like it today right it feels like we are fighting with each other we are we are at each other we are there's such anger there's such vitriol there's such there's all these causes and and so many worthy causes so many right things to be angry about but we often we are fighting each other we're taking it out on each other but our fight is not against flesh and blood but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world not unseen to god but unseen to me and you against the unseen world against the mighty powers in the dark world against evil spirits in the heavenly places This is what we're fighting against. We have this enemy who wants us to get our eyes off of God, to be fearful, um to feel lonely, to feel misunderstood, to feel angry, um to be distracted and busy. So as a response, we fight the right battle. Fight the right battle. Spend time in prayer fighting against evil. My husband and I have really started to kind of hold on to the reality that it's so easy to forget that I'm fight like in the name of Jesus, right? In the name of Jesus may every evil presence be gone from around me. This is not to make us scared. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world, but I there is a battle to fight. There is an enemy attacking me. And so lead me not into the place where I just turn towards myself, my small, weak, frail selfish prideful self but turn my eyes towards god he is my deliverer lord in the name of jesus i pray that every darkness would be gone from around me that there would be no evil presence to attack me i can tell you at 68 you are a church who is who is is following a leader and who cares about the gospel you are a church that needs to be there in the in ardmore in the main line you are a threat 
to the kingdom of darkness. You will experience um, these attacks. So be bold. It says in, in Hebrews 4.16, approach the throne of grace with confidence to find help and mercy in time of need. We are to approach with confidence because this is the God that we serve. The other thing I want to say, so fighting the right battle, being prayerful, all of this requires that we be still, is to meditate on the truth of who God is, his heart, his authority. Um, that's where we flourish is under his authority. So even his limitations lead us to him. So this is a big thing to me because I really do believe that in our culture today, we do not like to be told that we can't do something or that there's a desire that cannot be fulfilled. But I mean, I even share as a testimony to you, I, I, I only got married a couple of years ago. I, my mid forties and my husband, neither of us, I had been married before. And I am, I am facing the grief of not having my own children. This is a desire I have, and this is an unmet desire. I, I am not going to have children. Um, and so, and this is a loss for me, but is God still good? Is he still sovereign? Does he still want me to use this nurturing heart as I mentor young women? Yeah, I think there's a lot of good here. I think all my single years, he didn't answer my prayer to get married until well later in life. There are many times where God will say no. And what it is meant to do is cultivate a deep longing for him. If every desire, if our soul and our body and our mind is just stuffed with everything we want, we will become sick on ourselves. And he knows this. So he, he leaves these holes in us. He puts them there. C.S. Lewis has a great chapter on heaven in the problem of pain. If this is a, if this is a struggle for you to kind of grab a hold of this, he has holes inside of us so that we would long for him. I want to read you a really powerful passage from a book called Addiction and Grace by Gerald May. I, I just think, I mean, man, if we could, if we could grab a hold of this in our culture and stop being so obsessed with, um, filling ourselves up, we would turn to Jesus in, in Psalm 1611. It is in your presence where we find the fullness of joy, not in all these other things. So let me read this. This is really, really powerful. He says, in our society, we have come to believe that discomfort always means something is wrong. If there's something you know, just uncomfortable in our life, something missing, something lacking, it means something must be wrong, right? We're conditioned to believe the feelings of distress, pain, deprivation, yearning, and longing means something is wrong with the way we're living our lives. So we got to figure it out, right? And then conversely, we are convinced that a rightly lived life must give us serenity, completion and fulfillment. So comfort means right, right. Distress means wrong. The influence of such convictions is stifling to the human spirit, even our own growth, the reflection of Christ, even what he, oh my word. I mean, he came here and limited himself in every way possible. He had to learn to walk. He had to learn to talk. He'd be potty trained, feed himself, learn and handle relationships. I mean, he limited himself, as Paul says in Philippians 2. So if God in indeed creates us in love, uh, oh, I'm, excuse me. So the influence of these convictions is stifling to the human spirit. Individually and collectively, we must somehow recover the truth. And the truth is we were never meant to be completely satisfied. 
So that we were not meant, we weren't met this side of heaven. I mean, the reason I, the, you know, what I'm longing for is, is I'm longing for the day when I will be in the presence of Jesus. It's not a death wish. I am longing for heaven. I'm longing for the new earth, which, you know, we could, we, it would do us well to talk more about in our lives. But these limitations are, these are, ro- these are pathways to prayer, community, communion with God, dependency on him. So I just want to, I want to just close with this. Our main safeguard in these times of temptation about the self, you do you, um, self, I mean, look at all the hashtags, self first, love of self, um, my truth. In the midst of all of this, we got to fix our eyes. We got to fix our eyes on Jesus. I mean, who he is, uh, it is overwhelming. He is like the, he is like the ocean. It's hard not to get emotional speaking about it. Um, you can't exhaust the depth of his love. And if you struggle with it, um, if you struggle with believing it, um, you you pray to you pray that he would uh, well sit still and be with him. Let him wash over you. But he it's his battle to fight. We don't have the strength. It's his strength we rely on. He's faithful when we're faithless. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't get fed up with us. He doesn't tire. He doesn't he doesn't get confused and anxious about the world. He is a rock solid slab of foundation underneath of us that holds us tight and carries us. He knows you and he's growing and changing and building strength up in you. And he saves you as Hebrews 7:25 says, he saves you to the uttermost. There is not a sin. There is not a temptation. There is not a part of your story that cannot be redeemed. It is not who he is. If he can raise the dead, he can do every other thing that we face, every challenge you have, every loss, every grief, every hardship, every conflict, every frustration that Satan wants to use as a platform to get your eyes off of him or to question him or to turn towards uh, just obsession of the self and stuffing ourselves with comfort. That is the, that is the ongoing temptation. Turn to God. We have to turn to God. Um, in his presence is the fullness of joy. I want to um, I want to just read a verse that that has been over and over for me. It says uh, this is Ephesians chapter three. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, you, you and I know we have no resources within ourselves in his glorious unlimited resources that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. And then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him, his home. He will, he will become so familiar to you. Your roots will grow down deep into God's love and they will keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep this love is. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to really fully understand like the ocean. It's just too great 
to fully understand it, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. So glory to him in the church, in the little broken, we're trying to do the best we can, church, and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is our deliverer. Lead us not into the temptation of of this misplaced, small place to put our worship, where we just end up anxious, we just end up depressed. Lead us not into that temptation. God, deliver us from evil and from our enemy and fix our eyes and our and our anchor into you, into your love, um, that we would know you and be safe there. Um, and be kept safe there. That is, that is the prayer for us, friends. That is what we need, um, to understand and see the, the beauty of God. If you, if you need to go read Job 38, it will give you a little perspective that the God who controls the storms, holds back the ocean, brings lightning bolts through the sky, keeps the snow from falling and then unleashes it in the times it needs to feeds the animals that are in the mountains who we don't even know about. He can handle the temptations. He can handle this enemy. We cannot, but we have unlimited resources in who he is. So let me pray for your church. Let me pray for you. Lord, we, we want to see more of you like Moses who said, show me your glory. Lord, let us not live um, with our eyes closed. You are a God who not only sees us, but wants to be seen. You are a God who reveals himself. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. And we thank you that you you were raised from the dead so that every other hard thing would be conquered. And we give you all the glory for that. You are our king. You are our deliverer. Deliver us from the places where we fall into forgetting who you are. Protect us from giving ourselves too much credit. Protect us from trusting our own small minds. And let us look to your word as if it is bread for us, because it is. And, and, and protect this church that will be attacked by the enemy. And protect Jason and, and all of those in leadership, Lord, because speaking the truth, he doesn't like it. So, and thank you too for the limitations you've placed in our life for saying we couldn't have that tree. Thank you for saying that because there are things we don't know that we don't need to have. Um, we, we love you. And I pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Sorry, I got a little emotional. It was good to be with you all this morning. I look forward to seeing you at some point when you guys regather and I happen to be in town. Um, 6-8 is always where I come to worship when I come home. So um, love you guys and, and appreciate all that you are doing in that in that beautiful area of the of the country. Um, 
and praying for you. We, my husband and I pray for your church. Um, if you have any questions or thoughts, anything that confused you or you would like clarification or just want to talk about um, from from what I've shared today, please, Jason will give you my contact number um, or contact information. Please reach out. Um, be well, friends. Take care.